0: Typically, when you tell anybody artificial intelligence, like they will, you know, it's something huge in your mind. But now you know what AI means, right? And when you put this technology into the common man's hand is when the magic happens. This is what we need to do. Like have such an optimized use case. So you put it in the hands of the common man where it just clicks. Oh, this is Web3.
1: Welcome to the Open Metaverse Podcast. I'm your host, Mehdi Farooq, Senior Tokenomics Analyst at Focke Brands. Today, we have a very special guest with us. On the other side of the mic, we have Arjun, Head of the Ecosystem Mental Network. Arjun, welcome to the pod.
0: Yeah, thanks. thanks. Thank you for having me.
1: Arjun, just to take things off, why don't you tell us about your crypto origin story and and a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure, definitely. So so I'll start with a little bit about myself, and then I'll tell you about how I got into crypto. Um, so es- essentially, I'm, I'm a software engineer. By training, I started my career as a software engineer. Then I moved uh, into the business development and marketing side of technology. So I worked with several technology companies in the enterprise side. Um, then I also ran my own startup for some time. Uh, so uh, experience has mostly been on the technology side. And I think early on, I kind of realized that you know, I wanted to be more on the uh, application sort of or rather business development side, side of technology versus, let's say, building it. I do do projects from time to time, but uh, that's like became my focus area and, and my career. Um, then I've worked across several different technology stacks. So I'm, I'm in Web3 right now. But prior to this, I was in computer vision in AI, where I was with the AI startup for about 18 months. We were building technology for self-driving vehicles. Um, and, and again, you know, I've worked across a host of enterprise tech. Um, my sort of uh, Web3 journey was kind of interesting in the sense that it, I just kind of stumbled upon it very randomly. So I was working with a, the, with an IT services company, I was reporting to the CTO at the time. And he had asked me to sort of look into uh emerging technologies, right? The stuff which we could, could, you know, something which could become like a potential big business unit for it, for us like tomorrow. So I started looking into everything, right? You know, I looked into AI, machine learning, and that's when I came across blockchain. And I read the Bitcoin white paper. This was in May 2016. Um, and, uh, you know, became fascinated, you know, with the idea. I mean, I didn't understand it at first, right? I mean, and, and, and that uh, just piqued my curiosity. Like, what, what is this? And then I read the white paper a couple of times, started reading blogs. There was not really a whole lot of YouTube content or anything like that at the time. So it was all like, you know, blogs, like some stuff from Hacker Noon, Googling and things like that. And at some point I, it began to click, right? And, and not so much the, you know, the blockchain part of it, the fact that you have a distributed ledger is fine, but this whole idea of decentralization, right? I began to like kind of understand, you know, what that means. And then the more I sort of started to think about it, I realized that, you know, that this is such a sort of um, pivotal technology in the sense that it fundamentally changes the way we transact, the way governments might work and things like that. And that's kind of when I became really interested in it. So I started going to meetups, became a part of the community, started following people, and and that's kind of how the journey started for me. I was still in an I was still uh, working in an AI startup at the time, um, and then like uh, sort of I was I was still on the AI machine learning side more than blockchain. I was building some blockchain products, but it was very early at the time. Uh, mostly on like Hyperledger enterprise tech, not so much on Ethereum. Um, it's only in 2020 that I sort of started doing Web three full time. So in July 2020, July August time frame is when I joined Polygon as head of BD and growth. And that was like my first full time Web3 job. Then, ever since then, I've been in Web3. So, that's, that's a quick brief about me and my career.
1: So, so Arjun, at the moment, um, you're kind of head of ecosystem at Mental Network. Yes. Uh, I, I think for our audience, they, they would love to know what Mental Network is. So, why don't we just start with that first?
0: Sure, sure, definitely. Uh, so, so, at Mantle, we're building an Ethereum layer two uh, blockchain right so so let me explain it in two ways what we are doing on the technology side and what we are on the ecosystem side right so on the technology side what is mantle mantle is an ethereum l2 scaling solution and and we've essentially taken the optimistic rollup design and we've made several iterative improvements to it so for example we've uh, taken the um, optimisms like sort of or uh, code and then we've sort of made it modular in architecture right so we've added eigen layer as the data availability layer. We've added a, another interesting fraud proof design like specular fraud proof. Um, so we've essentially built the whole chain out on in layers where you have chain processing, you've got the fraud proof layer, then you have the data availability layer. And, and this is kind of how we imagine the future of blockchain architecture to be, which would be modular in design where you can swap out components and continuously upgrade and update the chain. So this is what we're building on the technology side. Um, and and we've also done like some other interesting innovations. Like if you go through our tech talks, you'll see that we found a way of using multi-party computation to reduce the exit time from L2 to L1. So, so we've like made several improvements to the design to improve throughput, to reduce cost. Um, so this is the technology. On the ecosystem side, Mantle as a blockchain or as a project is incubated by BitDAO, right? So BitDAO is one of the largest DAOs in the Web3 space. We have about uh, $2.5 billion in assets on-chain. And, uh, you know, uh, BitDAO has incubated projects before, so they've incubated Game7, EduDAO, ZKDAO, etc. And and now Mantle is a piece of infrastructure which has been incubated. So all of our capital comes from the DAO. All the critical decisions with respect to the chain are are made by the DAO, which is interesting because typically you see uh, sort of blockchains like build first, take the token out and then become a DAO. We are already a DAO on day zero. So our genesis is from a DAO. as a part of the ecosystem, we also have the support of Bybit, the exchange. So one of the largest exchanges in the world, they seeded Biddown in the first place. Then we have Mirana Ventures, the venture arm of uh, Bybit, which is an LP in like, you know, so many different top funds, Spartan, Dragonfly, Animoca, uh, Folius, etc. And then we also have a few other companies as a part of the ecosystem. So there's a gaming company called yiha Games. There is an on-chain order book exchange, Apex. So it's a very large ecosystem already. Right, and and with mantle, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take all of these moving parts, you know, the venture arm, the exchange, all of these companies, bit and its and all of its companies, and sort of, so we could say use the infrastructure piece to wrap all of this together and sort of build value and value and sort of capture the value within the chain itself. We'll be using the bit token, the token of the DAO, to uh, sort of as the ecosystem token for gas fees, for for staking, etc. So the uh, idea being that if we can add a lot of utility for the bit token. Um, then uh, the token will capture the value of the business and it's, it's already a very large business. And then what we feel is that, you know, eventually if, if you know, it will benefit the DAO, the DAO becomes stronger. Um, and then that allows us or gives us the wherewithal to do more projects and, and do other things. So this is kind of how the ecosystem looks like. So again, we've got like cutting edge tech built with, you know, mapped uh, to like a very large ecosystem, which has an exchange, a big pool of liquidity, lots of users already. And what we feel is that if we can, you know, get this combination right, then you know we can build truly a very large and uh, you know one of the most impactful communities in Web three.
1: So, so Arjun, there's uh, actually a lot to unpack here. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll start with the vanity question first. Like, okay, sure. like yeah, vanity as in when uh, when we talk about L1, L2, the first question that comes to mind is, let's say you have optimism, you have Arbitrum, yes. and then you also have Polygon. Why would user use another Eth 2 so that is the that is the vanity question. why would there be a propensity for for a user to use another ad
0: let's let's kind of analyze the landscape right or what it looks like so if you look at web three in general, right compared to web two right so so in web two, for example, uh, you know technology is 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 intellectual property right and and which is a competitive advantage for a company so for example, for Google, like, you know, you can have like many different business units, the CEO can come and go, but the search algorithm is sacrosanct, right? That is like something which is which what what keeps the entire sort of, you know, company together and that's intellectual property. Like nobody knows how it works, really, right? And similarly, if you look at other sectors also outside of technology, it is, you know, technology is, is treated as intellectual property in Web2, right? It is closed source and, and 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 that's kind of how those companies are built and designed and how those businesses work, which is these are, they are built around the fact that there's intellectual property and that intellectual property has to be protected at all costs, right? And then you build a value business around it, right? Whether it's product, whether it's services, something like that. Web3 is fundamentally different whether technology is open source, right? So the question you have to ask yourself in Web3 is that if all the technology is open source, which means that the day the technology gets out, you know, it is in the hands of everybody. Like on day zero, the, you know, the code is there on GitHub, everybody can access it. So if code is open source, and code cannot is not intellectual property then what is the value or what is where does the stickiness of any network come from and what we feel is or or what i also feel is that ultimately the value of any web3 sort of project will come from its ecosystem and in terms of ecosystem we've got such a uniquely large and 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 powerful ecosystem that we feel we can offer the user or the developer a lot more than what possibly other ecosystems can so let me try and give you some examples. So like I said, in our ecosystem, we've got a huge pool of liquidity in the DAO. We've got an exchange. We have the ability to list tokens. We have a fully, you know, well-oiled venture arm, which is an LP in so many different funds, has made several, you know, so many investments um over the past, let's say, three years. It's been around since almost 2018. Um So there's a lot of experience here. And, and we can, like, if I were to talk about a developer, we can take him all the way from zero to grants and all the way to listing, right? Which is something which no other ecosystem can do. Like, I think outside of maybe maybe binance like nobody else can do something like this at the same time we've got a big pool of liquidity which we can mobilize right for various use cases within the infrastructure piece itself which again is something which nobody else has so i feel so when it comes to the developer or the user we we have so much more to offer from an ecosystem perspective compared to anybody else which is why we feel that we are uniquely qualified to you know get into the infrastructure game because if we can get the infrastructure right you know again based on all the open source code which is already available Right, like with, it, with the, within the Ethereum ecosystem, then then we could truly build a really large, like sort of uh, project and a very large community, and and this is kind of why we wanted to build the chain, right? So so to summarize, like the value of an ecosystem or a project will will be less from technology, more from its ecosystem, and the ones with the largest ecosystem will win. And to build the largest ecosystem, you need several moving parts, and we have all of those, which is kind of why we feel that Mantle will be a very compelling ecosystem for the developer and the user alike. Regard you mentioned
1: eigenlayer as well here. Um so so on the infrastructure side, um like liquidity is come kind of coming from data availability that the eigen layer will provide, like leveraging Ethereum's trust. Um, so so my follow up question is uh are you guys also thinking about using eigen layer for shared sequences? Uh, right now one of the biggest criticism we have for Ed twos is you just have one sequence. So is that, yeah, is that something you guys are talking internally or is that the, is that something and the, the roadmap?
0: So I think this is a very interesting observation. So this is something we are considering. The fact that the way Eigenlayer is structured is that it solves, see Eigenlayer data availability is one implementation of what is actually Eigenlayer, which we are using EigenDA, right? Eigen data availability. So Eigenlayer by itself is a decentralized network of trust. Right, which is again built itself, it's built in layer. So it's interesting how, you know, Eigenlayer itself is modular, right? Where for every chain, so if I were to talk about how Eigenlayer security might work, is that every chain will have their own data availability nodes, right? And all of those, so you have like all the chains, you've got all their data availability and this entire data availability node network, which already has token staking, you know, of those networks is again secured by this robust network of Ethereum nodes who are restaking ETH. Right, so the amount of so I would say in terms of crypto economic like security, you have you know a, a sort of a paradigm or a or a structure which can secure like literally all you know sort of all the different assets which encompass all of these different chains in a, in a very sort of let's say um, elegant way. Right, so what EigenLayer actually saw is decentralized trust. So when you start thinking about decentralized trust, there are this is very interesting territory, right? Because now there are many solutions which are possible. So you could use it, for example, for bridging, right? Like you said, for like liquidity going up and down, you need to solve trust somehow, right? All bridges are face hacks. There've been so many problems there. You could use it for bridging. You could potentially also use it to secure like sequences. So I think with Eigenlayer itself going into mainnet later this year, I think we're going to see this very interesting sort of... um, like what we are seeing with AI right now, right? Like ChatGPT came out and now there's this whole economy of like, you know, bots, agents, whatever being built around it. I expect that once Eigenlayer gets out there, there's going to be this entire ecosystem of different types of dApps and, and you know, sort of builders who are going to find new and unique ways to um, sort of uh, use uh, this, this Eigenlayer, this decentralized trust network, right? To do like interesting kind of things. Um, and, and this is kind of why we wanted to integrate it from day zero. So it's already integ- integrated into our testnet as well. So, you know, builders can go and try it out if they so choose, you know, to see what that would be like. But I think to your point, decentralized trust can be used to solve a myriad of problems, right? Whether it is bridging, sequences, etc. We are researching this, but like I said, we're only scratching the surface. This is so new right now. I think only once it goes into mainnet is when we going to see like, you know, more builders use it in production grade applications. And I think that's when, you know, life will become very interesting. Uh, for the modular sort of blockchain architecture and and you know the thesis itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think life loss has become very interesting for tokens as well. So if you're kind of yeah. yeah. So if you if you if you like one of the biggest utility for L2 token or even like L1 for for say is that you stake the token for security. Yes. But let's say if security is being provided by a middleware, uh, do you actually need to build like the, That is something.
0: Oh, that's a that's a very interesting a uh, very interesting point. I, I think this is kind of, you know, like getting into the layer two thesis itself, right? I'll tell you how, right? Like what you just touched upon is that if you're using an Ethereum layer two, you're using ETH as gas fees. So ideally, like people may ask or or are asking, frankly speaking, like, what, what is the point of all of these L2 tokens? Like what are you supposed to do with this RB or OP? And like, and, and, and I think even those teams are kind of, you know, getting around to the idea of how to use sort of tokens in, in different ways. But like you said correctly, that crypto economic security is a very good utility for this for this token, right? At the end of the day, like the most optimal use, what I feel of any token would be if it is used to improve like another network, like so. So if you talk about yields in general, right across the Web three space, you either have you have fundamentally two kinds of yields, right? You've got a utility based yield where essentially the yield on the token comes from some utility, which is offered to the user. So for example, if you have a DEX, DEX has a token, DEX generates fees, fees is remitted back to let's say token holders. So, you know, it's utility-based, right? Because the DEX is providing some service. So this is utility-based yield. Then of course you have your um, collateral-based yield, right? Where you basically start leveraging up and leveraging up. And what we've already seen some of the consequences of that in in, in the past eight to 12 months of, you know, how that can, when that goes wild, what happens? so you've got like collateral-based yield and then, you know, which artificially pumps things and then you've got utility-based yields, right? Which is, you could say, stable and and rather, you know, the right kind of yield where you're offering like a service or utility to someone and thereby you're sort of generating some fees. And, uh, and what I feel is that when you look at concepts like Eigenlayer, where you stake assets who generate yield based on utility and utility here being crypto economic security, which you provide, whether to a bridge, a chain, whatever have you right? This is the best kind of yield. So I feel that when people will restake their ETH, like I think this would be possibly the best use of ETH, where you've taken ETH and now you're securing this entirely new layer of, of protocols and applications, right? And all the value you're deriving out of it, which is cumulative of this entire like superstructure, which you're supporting, right? With with eigenlayers, ETH restaking, is that you're providing utility, uh, a very important utility to a network and all the yield is basically coming from this utility, right? Which is how yield ideally should be. Right. And um, so this is kind of why, you know, like when you talk about like how this relates to um, token value accrual in some sense for L2 tokens, like this is a very interesting way for it to accrue value. Right. Among other other ways in which, you know, you could use it in the ecosystem.
1: So so Ar- Arjun, this brings me to the point right right, like right now, the, the idea is the bit token will will kind of secure, yes, yeah. uh, sec- secure, secure the mental network. But its eigenlayer can do this. Do you, do you think, will there be a need, still be the need for PIT token? If so, how are you thinking about the value accrual in, in that scenario? What would be the, some use cases? Uh,
0: let me break this down into uh, where it would exactly provide security, right? So so if you, the way Eigenlayer is structured is, imagine you have different networks. So let's say you have Mantle. Okay, so, so let's take a step back. Let's assume all L2s are using Eigenlayer for data availability. Let's assume, right? So you've got Arbitrum, Optimism, Polygon, Mantle possibly others. Um, So in this scenario, what would happen is each of these chains, like so Mantle would have its own data availability nodes, which are secured by the BIT token. RB would have their own data availability nodes, which are secured by the Arbitrum token, similarly for Optimism. So you've got each chain. So you have like each chain and each of those chains has their own data availability nodes. Now, all of these nodes, all of these are secured by this E3 staking sort of layer. So each restaking layer is like you could say like a super layer, right? On top of which you got these other layers of data availability nodes which are then securing these networks. So it's not as if you will lose utility in this sense, like the crypto economic security of your native, you know, using your native token for your data availability node network is something which is still required in spite of ETH being there because ETH's job is not to secure each network, it's to secure this entire layer. Right, because it's again like like the you could say in some sense the mother asset of all of all L2s. Um, so this is kind of why I feel that in this situation, like utility for the uh, native token will still be there. Now to take the broader question of, for example, of of bit u- utility in general, right? Now the advantage which we have with Mantle is that we can use bit in crypto economics staking here. We can also use it in crypto economics staking when it comes to sequences. So you talked about how you could potentially use EigenLayer or maybe like who knows right there could be a separate layer for sequencers right for crypto economic security it's totally possible and that's again another place where we plan to use the native token the bit token so it will be used there as well then we plan to use it as the ecosystem token so across all the different apps on the network then it will also be used for gas fees right so which then like like i said will be amortized based on sequencer and and and, and data availability and then possibly there could be a zk EVM sometime in the future once the technology is more mature. So there's a prover as well, where again, you know, you could you could have some, some crypto economic security. So the way we've created utility for the BIT token is at multiple levels, right? And this is counting only Mantle, not all the other projects which are outside of Mantle, which will also be sort of building uh, utility for BIT. So for example, if you have an idea which builds utility for the BIT token, and if you go and let's say apply to BITDAO and say that, hey, I want to do this, and this, you know, helps the BIT token, you'll get funded from the DAO. Right, so I think BitDAO wants the Bit token to be used to advance the cause of Web3. It can be done in many ways. Mantle is one of those ways uh, in which we plan to use it. Other projects will also be doing so, and that's kind of why I think Bit is interesting in the sense that it would capture the value, like I said, of the ecosystem at large versus, let's say, of of only this particular L2, um, which is why I, you know, which is kind of how we wanted to structure this entire ecosystem, where you have this powerful DAO. And then you've got this chain. Then you also have an exchange, and then you have this entire community and all of these apps. And then all of this working together sort of builds and captures value for for the bit token.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that is very fascinating. And I, I think we already have a few case studies of an ecosystem token doing really well. Right? Like uh, we we saw at BNB, like it does amazingly well. That like even right now, it's it's holding up well because there's a uh, every every few months there is a launch of a new token there. Or you can use it for gas, or you can use it for discount. Oh, so you have multiple utility. We also saw this with Ape. Like yes, Ape yeah. is not just used for one thing. But apart from governance, it's used for as a medium of exchange in multiple other uh, different different ways. So, so that's interesting. Um, so apart from mental, like what are some of the other utilities in Bit? Like I know you earlier you mentioned that there's something relating to zk research, and I think also uh, giving. But apart from mental, yeah. that there are other. Uh, what are some of the other use cases for Bit? Uh, that can also kind of make investors, like those who invest in public market, be like, okay, if I were to make a thesis for this investment, I like the potential optionality is mantle, but there are the use cases as well.
0: Great question. So so I think one would definitely, the primary utility of which Bit started with is of course governance. So outside of whatever's happening on mantle, you can use Bit to mobilize the funds of the DAO. So for example, when I was saying that all of our funding came from the DAO, it came via a vote. Right, which was basically uh vote. So this we had a proposal which was put on the bit forums and then it was voted on by the Bit community, and that's kind of how we got our funding. That's how our ecosystem fund funding came from, etc. So all of these things. So governance is one interesting utility for the bit token. And if you look at the if, if you look at the ecosystem at large, right? So now let's look at uh, game seven or let's say let's look at EduDAO. So what eduDAO is doing is that they are doing education initiatives in Web3, right? And, and what they're helping is that, so they're sort of exposing, um, like, let's say Mantle's tech stack or BitDAO's entire ecosystem to, to let's say university students, like people who want to like learn about Web3, but also people who want to build their careers in Web3, right? Who want to maybe become, you know, like, like sort of apply to positions within this ecosystem. So at the end of the day, that's also another interesting place where we're able to get like new users and also like, you know, and, and when I say not just users, but developers as well who are able to then, you know, build on this piece of infrastructure and further you know, build value for build. So that's an interesting way of building value. Game seven has been doing game seven in, uh, gaming investments, but they've also been building gaming tooling. So one of the tooling which has come out of the game seven stable is is HyperPlay, right? And HyperPlay is like kind of the Steam sort of uh, sort of uh, engine, right? For for web three games where you have a wallet, you've got all of these other different problems which gamers face are solved, and then you can just click and you can go and play a game. Um, and it soon it soon will go mobile as well. So, so this is an interesting piece of game tooling. There's also something called Summon, which is sort of how you build, uh, let's say, uh, identity for gamers and capture all of their sort of, let's say, um, all of their achievements in one place. So, so Game 7 is also producing all of these interesting products, which will further then, in some sense, add value to either Mantle or Bit itself, right? So for example, these products could, anywhere you could use, maybe Bit as a medium of exchange, or you could use it for staking somewhere or possibly in any of these new products. So all the... You could say all the participants in the BitDAO ecosystem, whether it is the exchange, whether it is the venture arm. For example, now the venture arm is LP in like pretty much every other fund in, in the Web3 space, right? So there's a huge portfolio of apps now who are asking us now, hey, how do we like, you know, talk to the mantle team? How do we deploy and mantle? What are your plans? Um so like I said, we have a few other companies in the mix. We've got Yeeha Games, a gaming company, we've got Apex Dex and Exchange, Orderbook, On Chain Exchange, Bitverse Wallet. So they're like a bunch of different companies, all of whom are also like either bringing users or using Bit in some fashion, right? And, and and this is kind of where, why Bit is interesting in that way that the way we are structuring this entire ecosystem is that all the participants are are either using Bit in some way or creating some new utility for Bit. And and for example, like I was telling you, like if you yourself, Medi, like let's say you decide, okay, I can, you know, build this interesting product right? And, and you, if you put that in, and, and if it adds utility to the BIT token or, or you know, value captured in some sense, and you put it in front of the DAO, it'll get funded. So this is kind of the cycle or the engine if you want to start, which is projects building utility for BIT or using BIT in some sense, and and this ecosystem becoming larger and larger and essentially BIT then capturing the value of this large ecosystem, um, which is kind of where I where I feel it will, it, it, it sort of starts to become very BNB-like. The difference being that BITDAO is still sort of, you know, governed through a DAO while, you know, BNB is, let's say, more directly, you know, sort of, uh, let's say, deployed or used in a more, let's say, centralized fashion through the exchange, of Binance. So I think that's that's kind of the difference there. But otherwise, it's very BNB-like. Yeah.
1: Got it. So, Arjun, uh, the sense I'm getting for oh, you here is, uh, I, I think the thesis here is uh, code is open source, very difficult to capture value. The best way to capture value will be to bootstrap network effect in order to optimize network effect, focusing on the BD side of thing, and not only focusing on the BD side of thing, but also focusing it from a bottom-up perspective where everybody can come into a DAO and and, and fund things or put out grants or, or do interesting things. I get it. And we also kind of live in this remix culture where everything bottom-up does, does a cool lot of value. So let, let's say if we talk about Tweet or TikTok, everything like yes, in this yes, day yes. and age is about remix. right? Um, so, so when, when you're thinking about this um, bottom-up approach, when we are thinking about this remix approach, philosophically, what do you think is the best BD strategy here? So, we have seen different L1s or even L2s take different approaches, and we have seen projects focus on let's um, accelerator or incubator. We have seen some projects focus on grants. We have seen some projects just not focus on Web3 but going. And focusing on web two, which also right, kind of right. have a cyclicalness, right? So so in, in your view, since you have also worked in the business development world uh, before, what is the best approach here uh, when we're trying to make this type of ecosystem?
0: Uh, I think, so a lot depends on the end state, right? Which you desire, right? As as a blockchain. So, and, and I'll tell you why, why this is important first to understand that, because while we, while a blockchain is a decentralized compute layer where you can ideally build anything, we've also seen like, you know, gaming specific chains, DeFi specific. So, for example, if you look at Arbitrum, a lot of DeFi there, you know, it's primarily in some sense a DeFi chain with like big liquidity. You have like stuff like IMX, which is purely gaming. So there are like, you know, like there are different ways you can structure an ecosystem. So there are different things which define success for you. Like a gaming chain may have different success parameters than let's say a DeFi chain, which would be like, you know, which would require like, which would be very TVL driven also in some sense, uh, like, you know, which, which may not be a very important metric for a gaming chain. So there are different outcomes here, but in general, right. Bottoms up usually is the best way to build Web3 ecosystems. And I'll tell you why, because philosophically speaking, right. Like I was explaining earlier, the strength of a company or, or of a project in Web2 is intellectual property. Right. Like some sort of something which, which you can hold closely to your, you know, close to your heart, which is a competitive advantage in some sense. Right. And, and that's kind of how web two ecosystem scale in, in web three, the strength is not intellectual property, right? In web three, the strength is community, right? A project is strong when it's got a large community. And, and when you start thinking in terms of community, the best way to build any community is bottoms up, right? Like you can try top down as well. Right. Like, for example, you can maybe try going with KOLs and doing like other different kinds of things. But ultimately, like if you if you're able to build a bottoms up community, then you're able to create your own KOLs. Right. And and that's like a far more, let's say it's it's a much tougher and longer process, but it yields more value as time as time progresses. Right. Because if with this KOL approach, right, the other networks or anybody else can also go and approach these KOLs. Right. Ultimately, then it's shopping around for KOLs. Right versus trying to build a genuine community who's interested in your project, right? And this is kind of why I said the positioning becomes important because if you're building a generalized chain. So, for example, at Mantle, like we can, you know, there's going to be a big focus on gaming for sure because gaming brings in new users. But essentially, we are building a generalized layer, right? So our positioning and the way we need to talk about our chain and what we need to tell the user or communicate to the user is 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 different, right? And 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 from let's say a pure gaming chain or a pure DeFi chain or pure chain some, or or some other kind of blockchain. And, and this is kind of why, like, when you start thinking in terms of community is why and bottoms up continues to show its value. And like I said, it's extremely difficult. Right? It requires a lot of very strong ground game. It requires you to structure your company, which, you know, in, in a way which reflects, like, community building style of, of business development, um, which is kind of what I've seen has worked really, really well. So if you look at any sort of blockchain which has achieved success, like from my time at Polygon when I first started in, in July 2020, to what arbitrum has achieved, and you know other blockchains are like. Ultimately, the approach is bottoms up, and today you see every blockchain now trying to do that, right? Now every blockchain is now, you know, trying to figure out that you know how do we do this? Like you know how do we go bottoms up? Let's go to you know like let's do more developer events, more this, more that. So, I think blockchain has gone through its own like journey, uh, all the way from twenty fifteen to what it is today, and we've seen several different approaches, but when you have, when you're, the, when, when let's say the stickiness or the value of your project is derived in some sense from, from let's say the community you can build, then like, I think the answer kind of starts to become very clear of why bottoms up and certain approaches tend to work better than others. Um, so that's kind of how I view the space.
1: So Arjun, even right now, um, like we're sitting right now and there'll be a lot of projects that will be building on top of mental. So let's say we move forward three months. Let's say, Mehdi enters the ecosystem. Okay. What would be some of the DApps? What would be some of the DApps you would recommend the current Mehdi to try
0: out three months, four months from now? So I think we'll have a very big gaming portfolio. So I think there's there's going to be a lot of different games in which you know uh, you know you can you can try those out. And again, we're looking at like genuine games, not necessarily uh, sort of Ponzi sort of driven game design but like genuine games which are fun to play so that'll definitely be there secondly because you've got like big liquidity um you know we have like so many other different moving parts there'll be a pretty bustling DeFi ecosystem as well i think you know when you look at DeFi ecosystems you know one must give credit to arbitrum which is built like such a genuine sort of you know DeFi community so many different new projects are being built in arbitrum new ones come out every day so i think they built a great community there we are also want we would also want to do something similar or are doing something similar where we want new protocols to come to life, new concepts to continuously push the barriers in terms of what what is possible on the DeFi side. So this is what you will see on DeFi, which lots of innovative new different protocols and and new primitives, which we want to bring to life. So this is on the DeFi side. And of course, you know, like a big part of enabling both of these is tooling. And, And tooling is where we see a lot of like, if you look at Web3 as a whole, a lot of investment and also a lot of activity, right? Because people have realized that all of these cool things are great. But the fundamentals of what what you require to build a technology, which is around developer onboarding, user onboarding, ease of use, API sort of driven infrastructure pieces, like a lot of this is missing. But what I've seen over the last six months is there's been a huge explosion in these uh, sort of types of products. So there's a huge focus from our side to also on tooling, right? So as time progresses, you have to become easier to use for the user. You have to become easier to develop for the developer. Right, chain fundamentals aside, that of course you have to be fast, you have to be inexpensive, you have to be highly secure. But once you go one layer on top of that, you need to make it easy for the user and easy for the developer. And and this means a lot of tooling, right? So this is kind of another thing which you might see three or four months from now. There's a lot of interesting types of tooling which which would make life easy for both the user and the developer. Outside of you know all the gaming and the DeFi, which will also be there. It's a pretty large ecosystem. Yeah. So
1: so Arjun, just like one question that popped my head, like I, I'm impressed by the BD approach, impressed by the tech, uh, is again, it's a bit of a vanity metric, metric, is TPS. So, again, with some of the MPC you guys have developed, data availability you guys have developed, uh, what would be the TPS, let's say on average? I, I know TPS needs different things, but let's say on average, when you see something like Optimism or Arbitrum, they have a X amount of TPS. So what is the target TPS mental would be targeting or do you think will be achievable once the ecosystem is kind of hustling and bustling?
0: So I think, uh, uh, so I'll tell you uh, what numbers you've seen in testing, right? So in testing, we've seen anywhere from, you know, uh, so when we started developing, we were at around around 600 or TPS. We've, we have a roadmap for improvement all the way up to 1000 and beyond. Right, but when you look at scaling, right? Like while TPS is important, there are also other ways to scale. So, for example, if you look at how rollups operate in general, right? You've got transactions. The transactions are like you know sort of bunched into into blocks. Those blocks essentially you know are bunched into like a rollup, right? Where you have a proof and a rollup. So, if you look at this entire lot of sequence of events, you need to have a very gas efficient network so that you can have the transactions are using gas efficiently, right? If you're able to have very efficient gas usage, then you can put more transactions into blocks, right? So here TPS may not matter more because here now you can put more transactions into a block. And secondly, if you can put more blocks, right? In, and, and so if you can create a proof out of a larger number of blocks and keep the roll-up size, the roll-up data size, like let's say small, then again, you've improved your throughput. So when I talk about, when you talk about a rollup throughput, right? There are several layers. Like it starts with, let's say, efficient efficient chain design. Right. Which, which leads to, let's say, fast transactions. Then it requires efficient, let's say, block production so that you can bunch a number of transactions into block. Uh, typically a block has a gas limit. So, you know, the number of transactions are defined by the amount of gas. So like I said, efficient gas usage means more transactions into a block. Efficient sequences means you can take more blocks and, and produce a proof and a, and a roll up and efficient like roll up, like or data compression means that you can reduce the roll up size. Now we've got a data availability layer. So we can push the roll up data to data availability versus putting it on chain. Right, so by having data availability and not having to put roll-up data on chain, which means instead of having two Ethereum transactions, which is the proof and the roll-up data, now you just have one. Right, so you don't have to wait for another transaction to complete. Right, you can further boost throughput. So from from six hundred, I feel we can go all the way to thousand, or maybe even four or five, or even six thousand, based on these optimizations. So we've taken the whole roll-up stack. We've looked at different areas where you could optimize. And now we will start, you know, working around all of those ray layers. So, for example, why we did Eigen layer first, like why data availability came first? Because if you look at the cost of rollups, right, over ninety percent of the cost comes because of the rollup data, right? The proof is as such pretty optimized; it's not that expensive. But the rollup data which you have to push on Ethereum is 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 large. It's it it adds up more than adds like more than ninety percent of the expense of the transaction comes from this. So, if you could take that data, put it in a data availability layer, then that cost is one. Well. So that's a huge optimization by itself. Now, and, and slowly, slowly, like I said, in all of these different areas, we will have optimizations, which will like, which is what is our scaling roadmap of how we've defined it. So, yeah.
1: Arjun, you also mentioned that uh, you also have prior experience in AI. like you, you kind of work in that space as well. How do you kind of see the current development of AI, like especially with the intersection of Web3? Do you think there's overhype? Do you think there will be certain intersection between Web3 and AI? What's your what's take on that?
0: So that's a very interesting question. So I I think with AI, um so there are a couple of things about AI, right? So one is that a lot of stuff is overblown as well. Right. So 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 first things let's 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 start with the good parts, right? Chat GPT by itself is I think a phenomenally fundamentally phenomenal piece of technology, not because also of what it does, that you can, you know, now you can search contextually, the way you think about asking questions has become different from you know, from let's say a computer. But also the fact that the way OpenAI approached it, where they put AI in the hands of the normal person, right? Typically, when you tell anybody artificial intelligence, like they will, you know, it's something huge in your mind. But now you know what AI means, right? Because you put it in the hands of the common man. You tell them, there is this interface. You can go ahead and ask it questions. It gives you answers. It does all these different things. It writes code. You know, it does like everything. This is what AI is like. So now common people are like, oh, this is AI, right? And when you put this technology into into, into the common man's hand is when the magic happens. This is also what we need to do in Web3. By the way, you know, just as a as a FI, that this is what we need to do. Like have such an optimized use case. So you put it in the hands of the common man where it just clicks, oh, this is Web3. This is why Web3 is important not interesting. And then, you know, you will see that, you know, sort of explosion in Web3 adoption as well. Now, with AI, what we've seen with OpenAI and, 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 and ChatGPT and, and, and now what ChatGPT has led to the launch of technologies like AutoGPT, baby agi like which is basically an you know an agi algorithm or or a model you can run on your laptop pretty efficiently is that it is changing the way we now approach technology in general so for example it can now write code it can comment code it doesn't write bug-free code but again you know it's getting there because it's a learning algorithm right and and eventually what i feel is that how the intersection might happen is in a couple of interesting ways it could happen on let's say the content side of things where ai can produce content you know, we are already seeing, you know, generative images, generative video, generative, like, you know, art, like different kinds of, so there's an interesting use case there where you could combine that with some level of tokenization, right? Uh, There is an interesting way in which, for example, you could use AI to develop blockchains itself. So one of the problems with blockchains is that testing blockchains is extremely difficult, right? Because there's certain problems which only come out at scale, right? But imagine if you could create, let's say like a hundred thousand, let's say auto GPT agents right? Each instance, each instance is an AI. So you have 100,000 people in some sense, like AI people using your blockchain, right? You could create simulations for 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 this technology, and then and, and you could, you know, create more robust technology, right? I, I also feel this is kind of where AI becomes very interesting for me that it's AI is fundamentally a tool, right? And it's like a screwdriver, you can use it to do many different things. And I feel that using AI to improve blockchain design and, and some of these other problems which you're facing with encryption, with let's say the mathematics side of things, even on the ZK side, like I think AI could be a big help there, um, uh, especially when it comes to testing. So for example, if you look at what A16Z put out recently, right? So this is very interesting. So A16Z came up with this gaming school and they said, you know, we have this gaming accelerator, we want people to apply. And they gave these 10 problem statements. This is what we want people to work on. I think eight of those problem statements involved AI. And, and in very interesting ways, for example, use AI for game testing. Right. Use AI for, let's say like you know, stuff like token design, like what happens, you know, when people start using this token, some people will sell it, etc. So, so this is kind of where I feel A, the intersection of AI and Web3 will come first, which is to improve Web3 in general. And then possibly as the AI becomes stronger, et cetera, then, you know, like who knows what might happen, but, but I must say that, like I said, open AI's approach of putting AI in the hands of common man is exactly what you need to do with Web3, And that's when you, that's when that technology adoption happens, right? When it is slowly, slowly, and then all at once like what we're seeing with AI, right? Like AI, AI, people are saying for over a decade now, suddenly, like, you know, huge explosion. With Web3, we are also getting there. Slowly, 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 at some point, some use case is going to click, like, you know, and then. So this is what we need to learn, actually, from, from this entire episode.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a very good take, Jim. One thing I'm excited about is, when you talk about Auto GPT and BB AGI, right? Like, you have wallets. Wallets, you can access it in a permissionless way i don't yes. like i think in a few months i can see people creating agents that does defi yield farming and defi oh, stuff easy.
0: Easy, easy right like all the strats are going to be taken over by ai right ai doesn't sleep and it can like depending so i, I was just thinking right when gas fees is very low the switching cost of any uh, let's say strat is not very high right and what that means is that if you have an ai which is cont- whose job is to continuously monitor strats like or, or create new strats like you could have very robust, let's say, AI investing bots agents, right? And it's so interesting that I'm using a bot and maybe you're using a bot and then our bots bots are duking it out, you know, because you're trying to maximize profit for each other. So I mean when I start to like imagine what that looks like, it's sometimes difficult to imagine.
1: If you if your bot is if your bot is making more money, you can set yes, it off. That's, as that's a,
0: actually a great great use case as well. Selling a bot as an NFT, I think, is a fantastic use case. But then, like I said, the bots are also learning. So then, your bot will see what my bot is doing, I, I, and this is this is into see this is where we go into that territory of what. Like I think Sundar which I was talking about when people asked him how does this work, and he said there are parts of this we don't understand. Like, you know, and and, uh, and and I think it's only with using this technology where you know we will we will come to realize. But but like some of the use cases you've talked about are stuff you can do today.
1: Yeah. I can also see explosion of content, like synthetic media, like a like lot of content. And yeah. I think uh I, I think like similar to fair trade products, right? Like I think there will be a demand for the for the fact that there there needs to be some kind of artificial scarcity or the fact that human made it or, or some kind of artificial scarcity. I kind of feel like blockchain, who here could could create that scarcity through fungible token or NFT uh, that we have so much synthetic media being pumped out by AI. Uh, that there's a way to kind of limit that and add value. Yeah, I, I think this whole
0: IP uh, kind of discussion, which is happening, right? That if, like, let's say AI produces some content and you profit off it, then who, who, where should the value flow? I think smart contracts are very powerful here, where you can automate this entire thing. So, for example, you could have an AI, which then you know, if you use this AI to create an image. And if you go and sell that image, let's say using, let's say on a marketplace, like as an NFT, then some part of the revenue automatically flows to that agent, whoever, or whoever created that, let's say AI or trained that AI for that matter. And, and if the AI, that AI was trained with, let's say a particular data set, then some part of that money could go to the, you know, whoever created that data set. And, 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 and and this is where smart contracts become interesting, where this entire value chain of where the value has to go and in what percentage, et cetera, could be codified in a smart contract and would be automated through this entire marketplace experience. Uh, which is kind of where you know I, I think how how we need to think about right where web3 adds value in this entire economy of, of let's say generative content where you know you could like right from the data set all the way to the final art piece to the selling and and its entire life cycle history you could like literally automate this entire thing and this auto, you know economy runs on its own um so so these are some of the things which web3 can uniquely do which you know which would not be possible in in any in any web two sense and and we're already seeing generative content like if you see some newspapers these days um i was looking at like the airport i don't remember which one but but like you know how how newspapers have these like sample images right like like if you have to make a let's say a sample image of a laboratory right you know you have got the scientist holding like this like you know some instrument or something and and it was written like you know generated by dali like, you know, sort of versus, you know, like where it would have been Getty's images or whatever have you. So it's already happening. Um, And like you said correctly, that the content game will now explode, right? Synthetic content will become this new category. And, uh, and then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see some, some really, I think equally amazing and equally macabre things now happening (laughs) that side of, that side of the world. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is so fascinating. I think, if you just were to discuss this, this will like, can potentially take a whole episode of its own. Yeah. So, uh, so Arjun, I'm also cognizant of time. So I'm going to just mm. push the gear a bit and uh, we can have the final segment of the podcast, which is, which is a f- reptile file now. So we are on the, on the topic of VI. So Arjun, what was the last thing you, you kind of inputted on chat GPT?
0: Oh, wow. So the last thing I inputted on chat GPT is how does gas work in different optimistic rollups? So, yeah. So instead of going to the documentation, I asked ChatGPT, instant answer.
1: Amazing. Uh, Blue Ocean or Red Ocean?
0: Hmm. I would say Blue Ocean when it comes to Web3.
1: Arjun, if you were working on Mantle, which other ecosystem you would have found attractive, either from ethos standpoint or from tech standpoint?
0: I think uh, from tech standpoint, I feel Arbitrum is quite interesting. Um, I think from an ethos standpoint, optimism is quite interesting. Um, I think from general shipping perspective, uh, oh, that's Polygon, so that's where I was already was. So Polygon's great at you know, shipping stuff quickly. So I think each ecosystem has this, you know, very sort of unique point. But that's that's kind of how. But I would have been in Ethereum. Like short answer to the question, Ethereum is where my heart is, and that's where where I would have been.
1: So basically, EBN, correct? E- um Arjun, to conclude, question I should have asked you but didn't.
0: <laughs> so. So I think I think there are two two questions which which one is when is our mainnet coming out? So our mainnet is gonna be out in the mantle Mainnet is planned in like another three months. So I think by mid June or end of June our mainnet should be out. Audits are already coming in, we're already sort of making all the fixes. <laughs> I think that's probably if I were to selfishly say one question which which could have been asked. Um I think outside of that, I would just say that uh one of the things which is not discussed, not not like a question, I think you We've covered like a fair gamut of things, but I think around token economics and value capture, right, is where I'm seeing a very new type of like, you know, like people are saying now tokenology, right, which is is now this new science where, no, I'll tell you why, why, okay, like jargon aside, like fancy sounding jargon aside, why I like this, why I like this is because finally I feel that instead of going with this corollary based approach, right, where we say it is like supply and demand, it is like money. It is like asset. It is like equity. We're finally coming, you know, I can see like, you know, token economics experts, researchers coming to this point where now the thinking is that the token by itself is a fundamentally new and a different class of financial instrument. Right? it is something which is like, you know, we were discussing when we met in person, right? That it is equity, asset, currency, all of this rolled into one. So it's a fundamentally different asset class, which is kind of where this analogy or cholerally approach has to now be put aside. And now we need to think of it as a fundamentally different asset class, which means we need to develop a fundamentally different approach of how we need to think about how this asset class functions, its behavior and how it creates or captures value. I think we have finally got to this point, right? Where uh, and And I think this is kind of a good place to be because now is when you will see truly innovative or rather for the lack of a better term, good token models come out, right? Which will add benefit to the project and the user and not to, let's say, you know, a small set of people, uh, you know, within the ecosystem. So I think I think that's also another interesting discussion point, which I think uh, more people need to like get into.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I love the response. Uh, I truly do. I think we're very early, right? Like we are so early that in equity, we have DCF models. In currency, we have different ways to value currencies as well, like through through, like through Inflation through PPP. But we, we're still so early that there aren't any models out there where, where you can be like, input these numbers and you get X. And so mm-hmm. so that is indication that there'll be very, very early. There's a lot of experimentation that will happen. And kudos to team like mental, right? Like I think that experimentation will only take when you have scalable blockchains, which can support thousands mm-hmm. of our sections, right? And once that's yeah, once that takes through, people will be like experimenting with weird ideas and tokens as well. True, true. Again, Arjun, this was this was amazing, and I'll also give uh, a pat in the back to myself that I didn't ask you about airdrop. So, so I think that was a question I should have asked you, but I didn't. I can,
0: I can neither I can neither confirm or deny. Yes, yeah. This may may
1: not be alpha. This may <laughs> may not be alpha. Uh, yeah, just to confuse audience a bit more. Uh, so again, Arjun, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. I had a fascinating discussion, and hopefully, uh, all all goes well, and we can have you again as well once the.
0: Not no, short. Sure, I, you know, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Mehdi, and you know, I look forward to our next conversation. This
1: podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Any opinions provided in this podcast reflect the views of the speakers only.